Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we concluded last episode by talking about how reading the scripture and reading the lives of the saints can be helpful. It can be positive in getting us from a state of agitation that most of our societal around us mentally kinds of put us in. You know, you can go down the the black hole of Facebook or Twitter and and ultimately you, you don't really end up better off for it. Normally it's it, it, it's some type of a negative. Certainly the 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 news knows how to do that regularly and do it just so you, strong enough so you come back through the commercial break. So as as we think about that and then we put it in contrast to reading a reading a live of the saints or or, or reading the gospel itself, there is certainly a difference in the intent. Whereas when you're watching the news, there is an intentional design to spur base emotion. And it is proven that it is easier to incite negative emotions than it is with positive. That's why you see way more dramas being made out of Hollywood than comedies. It's easier. So we know that. But the gospel isn't written that way. None of the Bible was written that way, where it's designed to bring out negative intent. Obviously, it's in one way or another speaking about God, and God is not negative. So it would be contrary in its initial goal. But... Given the fact that we're in a stimulus rich world um, in a way that probably has never existed before, I wanted to talk about how bringing ourselves into the gospel is positive and good. And it's not, not something that, oh, it's not entertaining enough, so therefore it should be dismissed, like a, a show that you See, has 16% on Netflix or something like that. No one else likes it, so I'm not going to like it either. That the gospel is not intended to do that. The gospel is intended to, to have you bring a certain element of yourself to it. And I think that since so many of our forms of information coming to us is the opposite of that. It's bringing everything to us and we need to absorb it rather than us bring something to the material This might just be a conversation about technique and how to do that, but I wanted to obviously talk about if there is a technique and how to do that and then the benefits of doing that as a result. Wow, Joe, that was a really beautiful way of describing all that. And you're right on the mark. The difference in intent and experience between entertainment, broadly speaking, and as you say, stirring up negative emotion is a big part of that. Entertainment is kind of engaging the heart. I think I think we've gotten so good at numbing ourselves from so many other difficulties. We talked a little bit about depression and anxiety in the last episode. And you know, some of that is just the the numbness that comes from being super hyper stimulated and then stimulated with so many negative things that we just don't want to feel. And so we numb ourselves in different ways. And entertainment can be also a way to kind of jumpstart the heart. We want to feel something and we want to feel something different. We want to feel somebody else's problems and pain or anyway, it's a lot of stuff there, but you said it so well that uh, 
we have to bring something of ourselves when we read the scripture. And that's very concretely true when we think of the importance of faith. So faith is always, it always involves a choice. Our free will is involved in faith. Faith is not a truth that's imposed on us. It's a truth that we freely accept and respond to. And so we have to trust, and trust requires an act of free will. And do we trust that what God has revealed to us through the church, uh, as it has originated in the life of Jesus and communicated in scripture and passed down through the magisterium, uh, the bishops and the pope, do we trust that that's really God's revelation? We have to make a positive choice to do that. It's not something that imposes itself on us because ultimately God wants to bring us into a relationship of love and love requires freedom. And so he leaves us free to believe him or not to believe him. He doesn't force to force us to believe him. Now, if you hit your head against a wall, uh, there isn't much wiggle room there. That wall really exists and it imposes itself on us. Uh, but when we call out to God in faith, when we look at that little piece of bread that we believe is actually the body and blood of Christ and no longer bread, when we uh, are there in church and uh, lifting up our prayers to a God that we can't see and touch who doesn't impose himself on us, it requires an act of faith. It requires an act of free will. And that's a very different engagement than uh, being the totally passive receivers of something like television and and being very superficially stimulated in that context. But uh, when we have to engage in a relationship that requires the investment of ourselves, uh, if I don't invest myself in television, whatever, it doesn't, you know, it imposes itself on me and it stirs me up in different ways. And um, but it kind of doesn't care whether I exist or not, whereas God really does. And we can't really engage him unless we freely choose to engage him, unless we open our hearts to him, unless we make an act of belief in him. If we choose to doubt him, if we choose to uh, reject him, if we, if we choose to believe that he doesn't exist, then he won't impose himself on us. And that's because he, he wants to engage us in a real relationship. He doesn't want to have something superficial. He doesn't need robots and puppets and automatons. He he uh, he wants relationship with a child, with a spouse. He wants a deep friendship with us. And so that requires us to bring some of ourselves, well, all of ourselves ultimately into that relationship. And you gave a concrete example of that through scripture, uh, for example, that we have to really engage scripture. It doesn't sort of force itself on us. And in fact, if we take superficial interpretations of it, the kind of, in, the kind of initial interpretation that might feel like it, more like it imposes itself on us, often that's wrong. It's, it's not actually what God is saying to us. We need to really spend time with the text. We need to sit in it, marinate in it, uh, give ourselves to it, open our hearts to it. And, and then we start to take in more of uh, the truth that's there in the word. And so, so the results are there. In fact, that when we do that, it becomes a more enriching context. It becomes a more enriching experience because, you know, if you, if you look at the gospels, it's, it's not written like a novel where you get every detail, you get every, everything handed to you essentially. And 
you, you, like I said, you just hit upon the importance of doing it. And I, I, I think that this is like a conversation that, that, that the how of what we're trying to get to here, because I, I don't think that that skill is prominent anymore. You know, whenever we were children and someone was making up a story and telling it to us, you get a different grasp from that versus watching TV. Because in your head, when not every detail's filled in, you kind of do it yourself. I think that's natural. But when you're watching something on TV, you know what the background is because you physically see it or you can hear the background noises. So I wanted to, really, the only sense that TV doesn't do is smell and, you know, doesn't really come up all that much in very many things. So I wanted to to spend a moment upon that skill set of how we actually can do that because actually doing it is so important and so beneficial. We might as well learn how to do it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think the first thing is God really communicates with us at a very different speed than the speed of the modern world. Uh, as as most things that are important, you know, I think there were some commercials, maybe there were Heinz ketchup commercials, the best things come to those who wait. Um, you know, we have the sense that the things that are really important are things that are worth taking a lot of time for. And the, the things that ripen over time, uh, you can even, you can contrast uh, the length of time it takes for human beings to become independent compared to uh, deer. <laughs> deer become independent in a very short period of time. Human beings take a decade, two decades to become totally independent. And the, that developmental speed is indicative of our complexity and it, it is really oriented to fostering relationships. We're not meant to become independent, ultimately. We're meant to remain in relationship. And above all relationship with God, but also relationship with each other. And we develop that over many years. You know, the, the baby fawn only needs its mother for so long, and then it doesn't need its mother anymore. That doesn't really foster the kind of long-term relationships that human beings are made for, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, who is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is an eternal relationship of, of mutual self-giving love. So those, uh, those kinds of elements of our humanity really emerge when we when we think in those terms. And so it's really slowing it down, taking time, being with the Lord. And so when we read a passage of sacred scripture, we don't read it like we read the newspaper, kind of skimming over the words, not paying much attention um, to trying to just tease out the basic content of the message. Now, that's a fine way to read scripture at a certain level, you know, read through it. But ultimately, we recognize, we read it more like a love letter. You know, when you receive a love letter, every word is meaningful. Every word is saturated with, uh, with significance. And so we read it very slowly to tease out the most subtle movements of the lover. Our, our beloved has communicated something to us and it really matters to us. And so we want to savor it. We take our time with it and we notice the little nuances. We notice the, you know, the, the handwriting, as it were. We notice the uniqueness of the communication. And we even memorize parts of it. 
We, we memorize a phrase or we memorize a, a sentence. We, we go over it again and again. We notice that they use this word and not that word. And I was praying with uh, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 3. It's the daily mass reading for today. And he says, our citizenship or our commonwealth is in heaven. And it's a funny word. And I, I looked it up in Greek to try and find out where it is and whether St. Paul ever used that word before, because I actually care about what the Holy Spirit wants to say to me through St. Paul. And, you know, citizenship, commonwealth is in heaven. He's really directing our attention to uh, our, our lasting home and uh, where our, <laughs> it's especially appropriate, we're recording this in, in still the uh, ambiguity of the, the presidential election and who was elected. And we can spend so much time and energy on this and, you know, watching the polls and watching the news and getting worked up about the, the, the fraud and the, the difficulties and what else is happening. And those are, I don't mean to make fun of that. Those are important things. They're serious things, but they're not as important as heaven. And our real citizenship is not, first of all, American. It's, first of all, heavenly. Before I'm a child of America, I'm a child of God. And so our lasting home, the most important place, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. But I just noticed that in the in the reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians today. And so I just, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And just repeating that little phrase, it helped me to encounter also the, the frustration, the pain, the uncertainty, the, the, the anxious uh, desire for a result, uh, a political outcome, and what's happening in our world, all these kinds of things stir in me. And then I just can resolve them against that reality. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and I can find a little bit of peace in my heart. I can rest in that reality that God has destined us for greater things, for a different place, to be with him forever. We're citizens of that place where there is already a king of kings and a lord of lords, where Jesus Christ is king of heaven and earth, and we can trust in him, and he won't uh, manipulate us or dominate us or oppress us. He wants to liberate us and help us to become the, the saints that we were made to be. So really slowing things down, paying attention to the words, savoring each of the, the words, each of the thoughts, and then holding that against my own life, bringing my own life into conversation with whatever this word is that I'm reading, that I'm praying with. Um, that's just a, a little way to pray with sacred scripture, to encounter the scripture in a way that's different from how we encounter television or encounter entertainment, movies, and uh, TV shows and uh, those kinds of things. And there's so much to that, that, that it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming. So as you think of, or at least as I'm thinking of citizenship in heaven, almost gets that, that initial pit of, I don't know what that is. And it, it, it's scary. Um, I think that sometimes people have that feeling whenever they encounter death. I know that I just recently went to the the mass that we do for all souls. And I don't know if it's a unique to our parish thing or if it's universal, but it, it's almost set up as a funeral. There's a casket that's put in the aisle just as it would be with a funeral. 
There's candles around it, just as it would be. Um, very similar to, to to draw the the analogy. And then obviously they they commemorate everyone who has passed from the parish over the last year. And in that process, and then obviously you've done more funeral rites than I certainly have been at. Um, so there's a calling of faith that 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 we believe that we are going back to our back to heaven to to our citizenship and since it is foreign to our primary senses i think that that just creates a little jolt of 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 fear and i wanted to, to, to basically see if that's something that that's normal or natural or if it means that that you're doing something wrong that that maybe your faith is is too weak um, because I think that the only thing I really equated to is, is when you're on a really, really high cliff and you're supposed to jump off at like a waterfall or something, you get a, a, a rush of fear, but then when you're there, you're so relieved that you did it. So I'm sure that that analogy fails to compare, but that's the, the, the gut inside my chest feeling that, that I had kind of when that realization hit me that, that this is going to happen to all of us, whether we like it or not, we, we are going to return home. And that's part of life. Um, no, it's a very good analogy, Joe. And um, the fear is the emotion we have when there is an evil present that we can't overcome. And uh, death is a kind of evil. It's uh, not necessarily a, a moral evil, but but it's God did not intend death. It's a it's a deprivation of the good. And so there is an evil there that we can't overcome. That's true. And uh, maybe the bungee jumping or the cliff jumping or whatever, you know, there's, uh, there's something scary there. That's, uh, we're not meant to fly through the air like that. But that's only the first part of the story. The second part of the story is entering into a new place. Now, insofar as we are unresolved about whether there is a life after death or whether it is an eternal death, then it's <laughs> our faith makes a difference in whether we think that there is an evil we can't overcome, which would be an eternal death, or whether there is, uh, in fact, a, a judgment that we will be positively judged about and an eternal blessedness. So our faith is going to make a difference in that step beyond death. But even for somebody who has faith, uh, there's nothing desirable about death itself. So death itself is a kind of fearful thing, you know, maybe like uh, jumping through the air, jumping off a cliff. It's a fearful thing. Arriving on the other side of it is a beautiful thing, presuming that we're judged positively in terms of death. So, uh, yeah, there's a there, there's an awesome reality there as well. And that's where we talk about fear in terms of awe and wonder. Uh, there's something unknown. And our faith is going to determine how much we're excited about that unknown because we're so confident that it will be good or how much we're a little ambivalent about that unknown or how much we're positively terrified of that unknown because we have very little reason, uh, you know, for those who have very little faith or no faith, you might have very little reason to believe that, that there's any good on the other side of it. So, yeah, our faith is really going to make a difference there. But even for people of faith, as I say, death is a, it's a bad thing. Death is bad in itself. Uh, and so we, we rightfully have some fear about death. But the, what's on the other side of death can overcome 
the fear about death. And we actually are able to have that kind of mixed emotion, a certain excitement and, uh, and a certain fear, an excitement about what happens on the other side, a fear about the passageway of getting there. And as to, to bring this episode back to, to where we started with it about relating to the scriptures, a thought has come to me in that there is so much kind of baseline stuff that that the faith in the church gives to society that, that we take for granted. And this particular conversation about death not being the end point, I think is, is a pretty strong example of that. Because if we all truly believe that there was nothing after, there was no purpose of life, we want to do things like deal with hardships or have kids. If it was just for no purpose, it would just be for whatever pleasure you want at the moment. And it doesn't matter. Get as much joy today as you can and ignore all the hardships. But life is not that life is about dealing with, with those sad moments and hard moments to be able to grow and to be able to teach other people how to grow and become better in relationship. And, Ultimately, the faith is is derived from from the scriptures um, and the Eucharist, which starts with the scriptures. Um, so, to me, I think that that if we're feeling any of these negative feelings in our lives, to to pause and and to go to the scriptures. And obviously, the Bible's big, and, and there's a, there's a lot to it. Do you have a particular place that? we should recommend people to, to start with, um, you know, as you said, sometimes a particular phrase will, will stay with you from the love letter and just resonate with you. You've been teaching people about how to become closer to God for years. Is there a particular passage or starting point that you find resonates very commonly with people? Yeah, good question. Uh, in general, I really I always encourage people to read the Gospels and to read the Psalms. I think that those are, are great places uh, to start with. Psalm 139 is very beautiful. Lord, you search me and you know me. You know my resting and my rising. You discern my purpose from afar. You know whether I walk or lie down. All my ways lie open to you. You know it, O Lord, through and through. Uh, it goes on like that. Those are just the first five or six verses. Just, uh, just a beautiful psalm. Um, and and depending on where people are, what they might be struggling with, something like Psalm sixty-three. Oh God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, weary land without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Uh, again, the first few verses, or Psalm sixty-two. It, how long will you all attack one man to break him down as though he were a tottering wall or a tumbling fence? Uh, but in God alone is my soul at rest. My help comes from him. He alone is my rock, my stronghold, my fortress. In him I stand firm. Um, so anyway, just beautiful expressions in the Psalms uh, uh, particularly. And then uh, passages in the gospel, of course, we always hear from the infancy narratives, the first two chapters of Luke and Mark. Uh, in Matthew, rather, uh, it, during Christmas time, and those are very touching for us. Uh, but um, 
the the letters of Saint Paul are more maybe more instructive for us. Um, uh, yeah, some maybe some different places to to start into that. I do love the letter to the Philippians. I think it's a very beautiful uh, Philippians chapter three. Saint Paul says, "You know, all these things are as nothing compared to what has been revealed to me in Christ Jesus, my Lord." The end of Romans chapter eight. That's actually a very good place. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things to the good for those who love Him. Read that all the way to the end, uh, but verse 36 or so, which ends, nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, nothing, neither famine, nor persecution, nor uh, fire, nor the sword, nor, you know, it goes on with all these things, neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor future things, nor present things, nor anything at all can separate us from the love of God that has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, um, just a beautiful, encouraging passage, but the Gospels and and the Psalms, especially, and then uh, some of the other letters of the New Testament from Saint Paul, I think, are, are great starting points. Perfect. Well, we th- certainly thank you for for giving those to us here, and um, and we thank everyone out there for listening and and to being a part of today's episode. And we will be with you guys again next week. <laughs>